If you have your Bibles and you would like to, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning uh, for our second in a series of five sermons on discipleship and generosity. Uh, a few weeks ago in our discipleship series, we were looking at worship. Uh, now for uh, this Sunday is our second, and for the next four, we'll be considering what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and how uh, his generous character should infiltrate our lives. And this is applicable to us no matter what our age, no matter where we find ourselves. You might be here this morning, a middle school student or a high school student, but if you're a disciple of Jesus, you should be asking the question, what does it mean for me to have the generous character of my Savior? If you are a mom or a dad or a businessman or a businesswoman or a teacher or you're presently unemployed, wherever your standing is, you should be asking yourself as a disciple of Jesus, how is the generous character of God moving into my life and transforming who I am? This sermon knows no age limits. It knows no financial limits. You may have a lot. You may have very little. You may have not very much at all. We're not talking just about money. We're talking about the character of our Lord and Savior, the generous nature of our God. This morning, we're going to look at motives and actions, or the, the title of the sermon is Why Always Leads to How. So why is the reason behind what I do, and how is what I end up doing? So we have motives and actions. When my kids were little, and you walked into the room, and something was wrong, something had gotten broken, or there were some cookies missing from the cookie jar, whatever the case may be, and you kind of finally figured out who the, who the person responsible was, you say, no, why did you do that? And I don't know if you used this line as a kid, or if your children did, but my children were pretty good at saying, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what came over me, Father, but I sure do love you and, and just want you to know how much I appreciate you. Bill Cosby did a whole routine on how he came home one day, and his, and his wife literally wanted to go upstairs and beat his son because at nine years of age, he had found the clippers for the hair, and he had cut himself a sideways mohawk. It's <laughs> like, please go upstairs and, and beat some sense into your son. And he went upstairs, and he said, son, why did you cut your hair that way? And he said, my son looked at me and said, I don't know. <laughs> Cute when you're little, right? Although it can be a little frustrating sometimes. You're trying to get to the bottom of things. But when someone asks you, why do you follow Jesus? If someone asks you, has being a disciple of Jesus made you a generous person? And your answer is, I don't know. It's, it's not quite as cute. And yet I find myself in times where the generous heart of God is the last thing that's actually penetrating my heart. I, ha I have worry kind of in front of it or concerns about things that I need to get done or my feeling that other people should carry their own weight and I've already done enough. I have all kinds of obstacles to seeing the generous nature of my God infiltrate my heart. And Paul calls us out on that this morning. Paul offers us an opportunity of hope that can be ours in Christ. So I want to give you this sermon in a sentence. Then we'll read the scripture. So we're talking about motivation and action. So motivated by God's generous grace to us in Christ Jesus, those of us who are disciples of Jesus, we can joyfully follow wherever he leads. So this is corporately as a church. We kind of know what the next couple of years look like in front of us and the challenges that are before us, but it also applies to us individually. Because where God's going to lead you tomorrow morning, except for a handful of people that work in the office where I work, you're going to be somewhere else. Your family's different than my family. Your spheres of influence are different than my spheres of influence and different than the people around you. God has strategically placed each one of us 
and areas of influence, are we joyfully following him, motivated not by guilt, not by duty, not by, you know, I better do this or God's going to be mad at me, but motivated by his grace. That's what Paul is after in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This morning we're going to study verses 8 through 11, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 uh, to give you the context. So hear the word of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus, who is one of their, their fellow ministers, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you, you Corinthians, this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And now the text we're going to consider this morning. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of others that your love also is, is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give you my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To Him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, as we, uh, as we are now standing on the threshold of, of an exciting opportunity, in the life of Green Tree Community Church to uh, be used by you to uh, have a, a place where the gospel of Jesus Christ will be preached for years to come, a place where anyone would be welcome to come and consider the claims of Christ, a place that offers life and hope, even in a broken world, death and struggle. Father, our community and our world needs the truth of your grace and your mercy. Father, they need to see it first, not in a building, but they need to see it first in my life and in our lives, that we need to reflect the grace in which we stand. And so as, as Paul encourages us and challenges in a, us in that this morning, help us to hear your word through him. Father, my opinions on this topic are, are just my opinions. They carry no special weight. We must hear the eternal truth the Word of God, and it is that for which we pray. Lord, I confess my sin to you. I pray that you wouldn't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn and know and understand this morning. By your grace, Lord Jesus, please come and teach us. We pray in your name. Amen. I want to give you uh, four why and how observations out of this text this morning. Uh, again, the why is the motive, so we're going to talk about motives, and then the actions, the, the how, what ended up uh, happening or, or maybe not happening 
uh, based on the motives of folks' hearts. The first observation is this. We're going to start with the motives and the actions of Jesus and then look at, at how that applies to our life. So my first observation is that motivated by grace, the Lord Jesus made himself poor so that we might become rich. Look at verse 9, which is really the hinge on which this entire chapter, actually both chapters 8 and 9, if you want if you want a hinge, if you want a foundational verse, if you want kind of the fulcrum or the, the pivot point, it's this verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul is laying out for the Corinthians in a nutshell the gospel that has been preached to them and the gospel in which they believe. They, they are understanding, Paul says, you already know because I've already taught you. Paul was in Corinth a year earlier. He had planted this church. He was the, the founding evangelist of this church. And then Titus, his buddy, was one of the guys that, that ended up sticking around in Corinth longer and helping disciple them. And he said, you know the grace of God because we taught it to you. What is grace? We go back to our Romans study of a couple years ago. Grace is unmerited favor. When a police officer is gracious to you when you were going 45 and a 30, what does it mean? It means you don't get what you deserve. <laughs> you don't get the ticket. You, maybe you get a warning. We were sitting around the fire last night at the men's, uh, the men's camp. Uh, not camp out. We didn't camp out. Um, I'm trying to think of the last time I camped out. It's been a while. Uh, the men's pig roast. And we were talking about either getting off, getting, uh, off of a traffic ticket or, or not. And there were some humorous stories going around the, the, the fire, but everybody that got excused from a ticket committed the crime. But somebody was gracious to them. We don't earn God's love. If you're new to the Christian faith or you're exploring the Christian faith and you think it's, it's a kind of a self-help or a self-improvement kind of deal, I, I'm going to tell you it isn't. Not even close. There isn't enough self-help you can do in the world to put yourself in right standing before God. But God is gracious towards sinners just like you. This room is filled with folks that are just like you who need the grace of God. And those of us who are disciples have come to understand and be overwhelmed with that grace to the extent that, that we are astounded that Jesus is kind and loving in spite of our rebellion. And Jesus is the rich king. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich. How rich was he? Well, there's a lot of places in Scripture that we can turn to that explain his richness or explain his wealth. The bottom line is he owns everything. Uh, I'm going to read you just a couple of verses out of Hebrews chapter 1, which point to this. There are a lot of passages you go to. This is just one example. The author of Hebrews says this, but talking about the Son... God the Father says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. That's an Old Testament allusion or allusion to the Old Testament. The way the king became the king was they anointed him with oil. And the author of Hebrews is saying, take anybody in the whole universe, physical or spiritual, angels or regular people, and you are above all of those. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It says you, you, will, uh, you will be the same and your years have no end. And they says, to which of the other, other angels, which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Jesus is beyond wealthy. He owns it all. Therefore, when Paul says he became poor, what does that mean? It means he gave it all up. 
It means the cost of grace was everything that Jesus had. I've never had anybody empty their bank account on my behalf. I've never had anybody sell their house, all their possessions, impoverish themselves, and then give it to me. I've certainly never had someone who, who I treated as an enemy treat me in that fashion. When I wanted to propose to Cindy when I was a senior in college, I didn't have very much money, so I went to a man in the church where I was volunteering in the youth ministry, and I asked him if I could borrow $500. Big spender on an engagement ring, 500 bucks. You're impressed, right? Okay. I'm glad that, that kind of, y'all kind of missed that. Um, and he, he said, sure. And I said, here, I'd like to pay you back $50 a month for 10 months. I'm, you know, I'll get a job. And he's like, great. And he wrote me a check for $500. Very gracious man. Very kind man. Uh, a man who, who is just, to this day, is a person I look up to tremendously. And he's worth several hundred million dollars. Giving me $500 was like me giving you a penny. It means nothing in that context. And I'm not saying that to say that, that he was bad. He was wonderful to do that. But it, it doesn't compare with the cost that Jesus paid so that we could become his betrothed, so that we could join him, be union, become in union with him through his grace and his mercy. Jesus gave everything. He gave up his uh, divine status. He took on human form. He lived a sinless life even when he was tempted. He died on the cross for our sins. He emptied himself according to the book of Philippians so that we could what? Become rich. So that we could have the life that we don't deserve. That we could be forgiven in Christ and through Christ. That we could be put in right standing with God and not just in this world, but for eternity. This is our glorious condition because of Jesus' immense generosity. Uh, over these weeks, we're going to be sharing uh, folks' stories. A handful of people at Green Tree who were willing to let us ask them a couple questions. And I'm going to stop right now because the video I want to show you this morning, which is a couple minutes long, is one of our members, and he talks about the generous heart of God. Now, before we show this, I want to say a couple things. We didn't write the script. We didn't tell him what to say. Last week, you saw the video where I was explaining everything. That was scripted because we needed to pass on information. We simply asked him a couple of questions about the generous nature of God, and here's his response. Hi, my name is Dan McGinnis, and my wife Sarah and I and our kids Ethan, 9, Anna, 7, and Claire, 6, we've been at Green Tree for about 12 years, and that's been our spiritual home. When I think about how God has been generous to me, I think about really what we talk a lot about at Green Tree, how we're all just incredibly broken, sinful people, and yet God would give all that he has. And, you know, we sing that song, I'll never know how much it costs to see my son upon the cross, but it makes me think that for God, he probably looks at it as like, there's no cost I wouldn't have paid to have Dan as my son and have anybody at Green Tree as their child. So. When I just think about how God has been generous to me, it's kind of an overwhelming question because there's no answer I can give. Every part of my relationship with God is His generosity towards me. So it's all consuming and it, to use Anton's phrase, it swamps me. I feel like God is calling me to live like heaven is a real place, to live like eternity matters. How we respond in this life to His calling will have an eternal uh, ramification and so I feel like God's calling me to, to trust him to believe that he is a rewarder of those that 
uh, seek Him. And I trust that God is a better reward giver than the world is. And so I'd be excited if over the next few years, Green Tree could capture that vision. Green Tree has been kind of like a potted plant. We're growing and we've moved around and we move over here and get a little bit of water, move over here and get a little bit of water. But it's really time for us to sink our roots deep and get out of the potted plant and get planted in some soil. There's a lot of spiritual thirst in Kirkwood and it's not necessarily the building that is gonna provide food for their soul, but it does provide a place where we can effectively minister to people and changing lives in Kirkwood will ultimately change the lives of people around the world as our generosity spreads. And I think it's exciting that God has said, here's an opportunity and here's a chance for you to be a part of building my kingdom. And I think how amazing is that, that, that God asks us to be a part of building his eternal kingdom. It's fantastic. Motivated by grace, Jesus made himself poor so that we could become rich. There is a cost to grace. The question is, as Jesus has paid the cross, the cost in order to be gracious to us, what cost will we now bear to reflect that generosity and to ensure as best we can that the gospel of Jesus will continue to be preached in this community, not only by whoever's standing up front on Sunday morning, but by those who become disciples and followers of Jesus. So from here on out, the other three observations really have to do with application. What does Paul say to the Corinthians about their motivation and their actions that we can learn from also this morning? So my second observation is this. Motivated by Jesus' grace, Paul called the Corinthians to be generous. Look at verses 8 and verse 10. Paul I'm not commanding you, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. So Paul looked at the Macedonian churches who were incredibly poor, but gave lavishly by their standards. And he said, I see by this act on their, on their behalf that the grace of God has impacted their lives. So Corinthians, how about you? Does it match up the same with you? He says in verse 10, and in this matter I give you my judgment. This benefits you who a year, a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians, I want to call you to generosity. And by the way, you already understand it. We've been talking about this for a year. I don't think there's a person at Green Tree Community Church that is a disciple of Jesus that's been here for any amount of time that doesn't understand the cost of their salvation at least to a certain degree. I don't think we'll fully embrace it until we're in heaven, but I would say that, that this is a place where the grace of God is taught and preached and, and we try to live it out every day. The question is then, how does it get into my hands and my feet and move out to affect the lives of others? Motivated by the grace of Jesus, Paul spent his life preaching and planting churches. Paul isn't calling the Corinthians to a generosity that he's not willing to take on himself. Paul's entire life spoke of the generosity of God. If you look at a couple of chapters back, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I've just grabbed a little section of it, but Paul's talking about his ministry, and he says that, that in Christ, God is always leading them in joyful procession. God's always putting them out in front of the crowd as his representatives. 
And, and he spreads through us the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Through us, the, the fragrance of the gospel is going throughout the whole world. We're the aroma of Christ. And then he stops and he catches himself. And he understands the enormity of his calling. And he says, and who is sufficient for these things? How could anybody possibly do this on their own strength? It has to be based on God's grace. And then he says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, you know, people that are in it for their own gain, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, why don't you join me? Why don't you come on this adventure with me? God's leading us in Christ. We're, we're the aroma of Christ. Now, to some, they, they, they love the aroma. It kind of smells like, you know, you walk in the kitchen around Christmas and the cookies are baking. To others, it feels like a stench, and it's offensive to them, but that's the journey we're on. We're called to present the gospel of Christ. Why don't you guys come with me and join me? So, so Paul has earned the right to share this with them, and in fact, he actually probably has the right to demand that they do this. After all, Paul could say, in a sense, your salvation hinged on my preaching when I was with you last year. I started this church. Paul could write to them and say, all of you that are believers are believers because God sent me to you. But he doesn't demand. He doesn't come off heavy-handed. He says, I want you to get this. I want you um, to see the gentleness and the kindness of Jesus. In verse 8, I'm not commanding you. I just want you to prove your earnestness. I want you to show that the gospel truly means something to you. But Paul also knew something else. He knew he was doing his friends in Corinth a favor. And that's what he says in verse 10. He says, Paul knew that the growth of a generous heart would be good for them. And in this matter, I give you my judgment. This benefits you. This will be good for you. I've had a hard time getting my mind around that because, quite frankly, friends, I know that I'm the guy standing up here saying we all need to give. <laughs> I get that. I understand that. I was up at 2.30 this morning thinking about that. But you know what? It's the grace of God that will do a work in our hearts that will make us more profoundly in love with Jesus. So in a sense, I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> now, I'm certainly not going to put myself on the level of the Apostle Paul, but it's in our best interest to see the generous heart of God take root in our lives. Um, you, most of you know my daughter Katie lives in Hawaii, and 6,500 miles away from me is almost enough mileage to keep her from prying into my life too much. But, but Katie is my, she thinks she's the Holy Spirit. She's kind of my conscience. And um, I said, Katie, the spirit, you can't see the spirit. You're skinny, but you're not that skinny. But whenever we talk on the phone and, and I, you know, I see it's Katie, I know that there's a question coming. Dad, how are you doing with what you're eating? How are you doing with your exercise? You know why she asked me that? Because I've said to her, I want to do more exercise and I want to eat better. And you know what? She cares about me. She loves me. And she's willing to ask the tough question. She says, Dad, I really care about you. Are you exercising? Are you, are you eating right? She's not doing that because she wants to feel good about herself, but because she cares about me. Paul is motivated by Jesus' grace, and he calls the Corinthians to grow in that grace and to experience that joy through that sacrifice. My third observation in motives and actions is this. The Corinthian disciples had made a promise. They promised that they would give generously to the believers in Jerusalem and that they, they made this promise motivated by the grace of Jesus. Look at verse 10. 
Verse 10 says, and in this matter I give you my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Now, we need to understand the context of Corinth. Corinth, the, we call it the first Presbyterian church of Corinth, says we're Presbyterians if we want to. They would fit in great in the United States. Corinth was a crossroads of trade and commerce. The economy was, was doing well. In Corinth, you could argue that our economy hasn't been doing great, but, but they would have been a great 21st century Western Presbyterian church, moderately wealthy to wealthy. And that fits most Presbyterian church, and that fits Green Tree Community Church. But here's the deal. In Corinth, at least, having more did not automatically mean they were more generous. In fact, the opposite was actually true. You see, a year ago, they had said to Paul, we've heard about the famine, we want to help we want to do our part. And Paul said, we'll be back in a little while. We'll, we'll get the collection only to find out that nothing happened <laughs> in the time in which he had been gone. No collection had been taken. They weren't ready to finish the work, the promise that they had made. Their wealth had actually become a hindrance to their generosity. And I've wrestled with this personally. Uh, and, I, and I mentioned last week in the sermon, I don't consider myself a generous person. I react when somebody needs something. If I have it, I give it but I'm not necessarily proactive. And, I've, and I figured out what's wrong, at least part of what's wrong. There's probably a lot, but I figured out one thing that's wrong. My first question is flawed. The first question that I'm asking myself when I'm thinking about this is, what am I going to have to give up? What am I going to have to sacrifice? What am I going to have to do without? Maybe I'll, I'll play a little bit less golf. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give up this amenity or, or that amenity. But I'm starting with a flawed question. I'm asking, what do I have to give up? The question really should be, what do I stand to gain if God's generous heart is created in my heart? If you go, I'm not going to put this on the screen, but if you go back to Hebrews chapter 12, read those verses, those first three verses carefully. Consider the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus didn't say, what am I going to have to give up? And he gave up infinitely more than I'll ever give up. He said, what do I stand to gain? I stand to gain the souls of those folks at Green Tree Community Church. When Jesus decided to go to the cross, he saw your face. He looked at you in the 21st century, and he looked at me, and he said, they're worth it. Every penny I have, every ounce of my blood, every energy that I can muster, I will give joyfully for the joy set before him in order to secure their salvation. Friends, that is the generous heart of our God. And the Corinthians were struggling to get their mind around that in a practical way. And it caused them to make a promise that they, that they were not keeping. Because I think their question was my question. What am I going to give up instead of what do I stand to gain? My fourth observation out of the four is that God used Paul to test the veracity of the Corinthians, their motives and their actions. Look at verse 11. Paul says, so now finish doing it as well. It's the first time he's actually kind of given them a little bit of a, of a kind of a, what we call a sternum thump. Kind of, I want to get your attention here, Corinthians. You've, you've said you were generous. You've promised to be generous. So finish doing well so that your readiness and desiring, there's motive, right? May be matched by your completing it. There's your action out of what you have. Paul doesn't say give something you don't have. He says just out of what you have. Have the generous heart of God. Let that control your life. And so I've asked the question, is my readiness and desiring real? 
Well, the only way I'm going to know that is if I finish and complete what I promised. I remember when uh, I'm going back to Katie again this morning when she was a junior in college. She asked me to, to start getting in shape in August to run in the Thanksgiving Day run, uh, the Kirkwood Webster Turkey Day Trot, which is only three miles. It's a 5K race. But for me, that felt like a marathon at the time. But before she left for college, she said, Now, Dad, you, you promised that you will start your walk runs. And I know when you start, it'll mostly be walk with a little bit of run, but you'll work up to where you can run three miles so that we can come back together at Thanksgiving and we can run that race together. I said, Katie, I, I promise I'll do that. I'll, I'll get in shape as, as I define shape, and, uh, and, 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 I'll, and I'll do that. And, uh, and I made it. And, I, and you've, I've told you a story before. Like the first 100 yards we're running, and Katie looks at me, she goes, is this your pace? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, oh, I can't do this. I'll see you later. She took off. But... <laughs> But I wanted to keep my promise. I wanted to do what I said I would do. I wanted my desiring and my readiness to be matched by finishing and completing. Now, there wasn't much at stake there, you know, my reputation with my daughter. There's infinitely more at stake in my witness for Christ. There there are people's souls that need to see the gospel of Jesus alive in my life and alive in your life. As Dan said, the building isn't going to save anybody. It's simply a platform from which we can share the gospel with others in our community. So the real application question this morning is, is what are our motives and what are our actions? Motivated by God's grace, Green Tree Community Church will what? Fill in the blank. Now, there's a lot of that that's already been filled in. By God's grace, we've ministered in Joplin. By God's grace, we, we have a children's ministry that in, the, in, a, in a middle school makes it feel like home for kids every Sunday. By God's grace, our youth ministry is active at Kirkwood High School in Westminster and other places. By God's grace, we've done 2028 for several years and helped lots of people. By God's grace, folks have come to Christ and salvation through relationships with people at Green Tree or on Sunday morning in a worship service. So there are a lot of those blanks that have been filled in. But as we move forward, by God's grace, what? And I just want to give you a couple of thoughts on that before we wrap up this morning. My first hope is that motivated by God's grace in Christ Jesus, Green Tree's excitement will be matched with prayerful counting the cost of our commitment. Again, I haven't met too many folks that are not really excited about the opportunity to have this kind of platform and this kind of, of home for years to come beyond our lifespan to do what we can do to plant the seeds for the gospel to be preached and lived out for years to come. But has that translated for you and for me and to prayerfully asking the question, God, what do you want my commitment to be? Where, where do you want me to be generous? What does my generosity look like based on your generosity? I believe that if we're excited without prayer or we're prayerful without excitement, it won't work. But I believe if we put those two things together and say, look at where God's brought us. I mean, I've said this already, but think about this. 20% of this project's already done. It's, our, it's already paid for. We're already down the road. Think about what will happen is if we really, every one of us, to a man and a woman, and even to our young people, will prayerfully consider what that means for each one of us, which leads me to my second, and I have have four thoughts here. Second one is this, motivated by God's grace in Christ Jesus, Green Tree Community Church will live in humble generosity rather than relying on others. What do I mean by that? Pretty much in every church in America, there's this idea that there are going to be a few people that are going to pay for most of us. And I would guess at Green Tree, um, I haven't heard too many people say that, but I would, I would guess that that thought is 
cross a lot of our minds. There are going to be a few people that are going to carry the lion's share, so my little part doesn't really matter. And what we do is we focus on others, and we don't apply the gospel to our own hearts. So friends, I don't care if it's a $5 gift or a $500,000 gift. It doesn't matter a whit to me. What matters to me is the condition of your soul and your heart and my soul and my heart. And, and the only way that starts to work is when I look in the mirror instead of looking in your mirror. And for me to say, God, regardless of, uh, of the amount, regardless of whatever, I want the generous heart of Jesus to be alive in me. And I'll let you do your work in my heart rather than expecting others to have that work done in their lives. My third of four is motivated by God's grace in Christ Jesus. Green Tree Community Church will avoid the trap of the church thinking. What do I mean? Well, this is a kind of a cousin to what I just mentioned. But um, I've had a conversation with a couple of folks that's been like, boy, um, you really have a, a tall hill to climb here. Uh, you, you've really got a lot, a lot of work to do, don't you? You must, you must be feeling kind of burdened about this. And I'm like, well, I am, but I'm also really excited. But by the way, I don't have a tall hill to climb. We have a tall hill to climb. <laughs> it's all of us together. It, it, it's not, hey, Tom, get, go get them, buddy. <laughs> we're behind you all the way. Don't worry. And that's where, you know, we'll, we'll be over here if you need us. It, it, it's us. <laughs> it's all of us. And, and to talk about the church like it's over there is to misunderstand that we are the church. Each one of us, you guys that are Kirkwood High School every day, you are the church of Jesus Christ. Those of you that are teachers in the school district, you are the church of Jesus. Those of you that are businessmen and businesswomen, you are the church of Jesus. Our staff is the church of Jesus and the people we impact. Wherever we go, the church goes. Whatever we do, the church does. And we need to not stand apart and say, well, I hope it all works out for the church to say, what are we as a church going to do together to develop the generous nature of our God in all of our hearts. My last application point is motivated by God's grace in Christ Jesus. Green Tree Community Church will be ministers to the future. What do I mean about that? What I mean is that we're gonna, we need to step back and see the big picture. We, under, we need to understand the, the long-term goal here. And you know what, friends? Jesus might come back today or tarmorrow, and if he does, praise God. But if he tarries, and if he does not come back, it is up to us, you and me, to make sure that the gospel goes forward in our community, not just in our lifetime, but until the day our Lord returns. To that end, I want to read a quote from you, for you by Archbishop can't get that out. Oscar Romero. Oscar Romero was Archbishop of El Salvador. He was assassinated in March of 1980. He had just preached a sermon two days earlier where he called the soldiers of the Salvadorian army to lay down their arms and to follow Christ instead of exercising the oppressive will of the dictatorial government in that, in that uh, country. Two days later, he was shot to, death while, shot to death while he was preaching the Mass. Earlier in his life, he talked about the idea of ministers to the future. And here's what he wrote. It helps now and then to step back and to take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is the Lord's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No sermon says all that should be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. 
No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. That is what we are about. We plant seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that affects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and, and therein is a sense of liberation. This enables us to do something and to do it very, very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and to do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future that is not our own. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for taking us on this journey. I thank you for bringing me and bringing us to a place where our our faith is going to be challenged. We're going to have to look at the motives of our heart and then look at the actions of our lives and see what is really truly important. There is a cost to grace. There's a cost that you paid. And there's a cost you call us to bear in order that others may know the incredible beauty of the forgiveness and the mercy and the life you bring. So, Father, make us wise. Help us to carefully, prayerfully understand the cost. But, Father, fill us with a zeal and a passion that will not be refused, that will make us ministers to the future, to the kingdom that is beyond us, but is also within us. For the glory of Jesus and for our good, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.